What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. I'm going to start today talking about one of the largest and notoriously brutal law enforcement agencies in the country, L.A. County Jails, where overcrowding and neglect have led to increased inhumane conditions inside of the booking center of the facility. We're joined today by Elizabeth Weil-Greenberg, senior reporter for The Appeal, a worker-led nonprofit news organization. Elizabeth writes on prison and jail conditions and wrongful convictions. Her recent article in The Appeal is, L.A. County's jail booking center has become a, quote, living hell, end quote, detainees say in a court filing. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Kat. How are you? I'm doing all right for Monday. And you? Same here. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks for coming back. All right, Elizabeth, let's get into it. The American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, has filed a lawsuit against L.A. County and the sheriffs. What are they alleging? Sure. So the ACLU and the ACLU of Southern California toward the inmate reception center, which is the booking center for the LA County Jail, the largest jail system in the country. Um, They toured it a couple times this summer and what they submitted to the court um, uh, about a little over a week ago were their firsthand observations of conditions as well as their interviews with people detained there. What they found was truly horrific. Um, People have to sleep on the ground, which is littered with garbage and urine. The toilets are clogged and smeared with feces. People have little or no access to drinking water. Uh, Many of the water fountains are broken, as are the sinks, um, or they're filthy and and smell of urine and feces. Um, People also reported being denied their medications, including an insulin-dependent diabetic and a man with asthma. When it comes to people with mental illness, the conditions are especially horrific. People with severe mental illness, they found, were chained sometimes for days at a time to chairs. Um, They were, if the deputies did not release them to go to the restroom, they were forced to defecate or urinate on the floor. Um, One person um, who was uh, diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia said that he had been considering suicide but was afraid to tell anyone because he thought that he would be chained to a chair. The uh, county and the sheriff have said that the people who are chained are at risk of suicide, violence, or, quote, are acting out um, due to their mental illness or intoxication. And I think it's important, right, these are not these stories are not just from folks that are locked up inside, but um, also like firsthand observations done by Corrine Kendrick, who's the deputy director of the ACLU's National Prison Project. Um, She actually went inside of the IRC and was able to observe um, some of these really horrific conditions. uh, Elizabeth, an- another issue, right, is how long people are in the IRC or the booking center for, for shorthand. Um, what is it supposed to be? Um, and we're going to get to the judge's orders in, in a bit, so let's not go there yet. But what is it supposed to be versus what was actually happening? Yeah, that's a great question. She wrote in her declaration to the court that when she visited in June, she saw nine men 
chained to chairs. Um, several appeared to be talking to themselves or, or to others that, that people that they could not see, that others cannot see, um, or appeared to be detoxing. So in terms of the, the time that, that people are held there, that's one of the really critical issues. The booking center is, you know, according to the county, the, the sheriff's office and the ACLU, this is supposed to be a very brief stay for people who are entering the LA County jail system. Their stay generally should not be longer than 24 hours. What's been happening is that people are being held um, sometimes for several days or up to a week at a time in these absolutely horrific conditions. The county and sheriff's response to the ACLU's filing was was really quite interesting because they they didn't really contest what the ACLU said about the conditions. They agreed that the the conditions in in the booking center were quite poor. They attributed that to the fact that they said they had been quote overwhelmed with new people entering the jail system, including what they said was a skyrocketing number with serious mental health conditions, people who require specialized housing within the jail, which is in uh, short supply. A couple of follow-up questions to, to that point, Elizabeth Wild-Greenberg. One is, what exists in L.A. County for folks with mental health uh, issues outside of L.A. County Jail? That is a really great question, and it's a focal point of the ACLU's filing. Um, I, I'm by no means an expert on what's available in terms of community-based support. When I spoke with Corrine Kendrick from the ACLU, what she told me was that there are just too few supports in the community and that they are not well-funded, and that this is despite the fact that the Los Angeles um, board of Supervisors acknowledged years ago um, that people with mental illness should not be in the jail, that they should be receiving treatment in the community. But she said that their actions just so far have not matched that rhetoric. Right. I mean, and, and there was actually a coalition, the No More uh, Jails Coalition in L.A. that stopped uh, the construction of an additional jail, which um, L.A. County had said that they were going to use for mental health services and something else was supposed to be built, but it's still up in the ether. Um, Elizabeth, while Greenberg, what are the demands, what were the initial demands of the ACLU's lawsuit? What do they want to happen immediately? Sure. So what they asked the, the judge to was they asked him to immediately put in place some time caps. He, they asked him to put in place a 24-hour cap on anyone held in the inmate reception center. They also asked him to put in place a four-hour cap to anyone who is chained to a, a chair or any other object, um, which I, I should note it you know, horrific that we even do negotiate such things, obviously chaining someone with uh, mental illness or, or someone who is detoxing is, is incredibly inhumane, whether that's for four hours or for several days. They also asked him to address the conditions in the jail to ensure that people are held in sanitary and safe conditions, that they have access to um, such basic human rights as 
drinking water, functioning toilets, uh, the ability to bathe, um, and their medication and uh, medical and the mental basics. care. Absolutely. The, the like floor of what people should be uh, re- receiving that that um, either not sharing, you know, our reality or are detoxing from a substance or just at the booking center, period. In response to the 24-hour cap, what was the initial response of the county and the sheriff? So the county and the sheriff, like I said, they, they did agree that conditions were poor and that changes needed. They said that they were already making certain changes in terms of trying to, in effect, make more room for people with severe mental health disorders within the county jail system. Obviously, that's quite problematic and, and goes against what a lot of uh, you know people say, including myself, is, is sort of best practices for how you respond to a, uh, a mental health illness. Um, is, is not simply to make more room within the jails. Um, but they, they put back against the 24-hour cap. They asked for a, I believe it was a 36-hour cap, but that would only apply to people held in the clinic area. Um, they also opposed the four-hour cap to people who they said are tethered. Um, they did not actually suggest any cap in their filing. Um, they just said that they opposed the four-hour cap. Let's talk about the overcrowding of the jail. I mean, one way to do that is not have people go to jail for things like mental health crisis or substance abuse. And for a time, um, I believe, Elizabeth, that there, there was the implementation of no cash bail. How did that impact overcrowding in the jails and what's the status of that policy now? That is a great question, and that's a really interesting part of the county and sheriff's response to the ACLU's filing. So at the beginning of the pandemic in April of 2020, the court instituted a no-cash-bail policy for most misdemeanors and low-level felonies. This was done to reduce the jail population and hopefully the the spread of COVID-19. It had a, a huge impact on the jail's population. It cut it in, in almost half. And that is actually from the, the county and the sheriff say that. They say that it, it significantly reduced the jail population. In July, that order was lifted. And what the county and sheriff say is the reversal of that policy is in large part to blame for what they're seeing in the inmate reception center in terms of the surge of people who are entering. Um, they note that, just want to make sure I get the number right, that the they don't have exact numbers for the, the number of people who are in the inmate reception center now, but they did say that the pace of people entering is now approximating the pre-pandemic 2019 pace since the policy was reversed in July. And the inmate, the um, number of people who are processed through the inmate reception center in 2019 was 86,000 people. In 2021, which is the first year that the no cash bail policy was in full effect, uh, it was down to 45,000 people. And so now what they're saying is we're actually approximating the pre-pandemic pace since that policy was lifted. 
any movement to put the policy back in place? That's a great question. And when I spoke with the ACLU, she said, you know, the county does have authority that they can vote and and make this policy permanent. Um, as far as I know, and, and I, I, I could definitely not have all of the information, but as far as I know, um, there that has not. That has certainly not yet happened. Um, I, I certainly hope it does happen. Like, like I said, you know, what's kind of interesting about this is that the, the county has acknowledged that jail is the last place that a person with a, a mental health illness um, should be. And there are actions that they can take that they've chosen so far not to take to address the, the human rights crisis that we're seeing in the inmate reception center. And, and one of those is to uh, put back in place the no cash bail policy. And as we've talked about before, right, decreased jail populations mean perhaps decreased uh, jobs for uh, correctional officers. And so they often fight those kinds of policies. Um, there has been some movement over the weekend. Uh, Elizabeth Wild Greenberg, tell us what a judge ordered on Saturday. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was a really significant ruling on Saturday where the judge put in place a lot of what the ACLU had asked for. He did issue a, and sign a temporary restraining order, which means that the county and the sheriff are obligated to, to make certain changes to, to follow certain rules. One is that he placed a 24-hour cap on anyone held in the inmate reception center. He also did put in place the four-hour cap for anyone who is uh, chained or, or shackled uh, to a chair or any other object. He also addressed the really poor conditions in the jail. Um, he wrote in his order that people had to have access to ongoing medical and mental health care, including pill calls, so people need to get their medications. They need to have access to drinking water and functioning toilets and be held in sanitary and, and clean conditions. I, I know we've been talking about this for almost 20 minutes, but every time you say, like, the basics, I'm just like, yeah, working toilets. Um, uh, one of the things that I thought about, though, uh, Elizabeth, as I was reading what the George has ordered is I have a question over who monitors whether or not the changes get implemented. Does Corinne Kendrick get to go back inside the jails? Or are we just going to take the word of the sheriffs that change has happened? That's a really good question. And my understanding is that the ACLU has access to monitor the, the jails. Um, I want to double check that but that is my understanding is that the ACLU um, can go back and and visit the jails uh, to make sure that these these changes are occurring the, the judge also said that if anyone is held over 24 hours in the jail or shackled or chained for more than four hours to an object that the plaintiffs in, in this case the sheriff and the county have to document who that was why it occurred how long the cap was exceeded and that that information has to be made available to um, the, the plaintiffs, um, in, in this case, the ACLU. 
And I, I know you don't have the answer to this, but I just want to point out, like, here in Alameda County, when there was, you know, a big investigation into the ways in which uh, folks with mental health issues were treated inside the Alameda County Jail, um, Santa Rita, um, they, they just, when that happens, they just clean up the jail before the walkthrough happens, right? <laughs> and then the walkthrough is done, and it goes back to business as usual, which would not surprise me if that's what happens in um, Los Angeles as well. Elizabeth Weil-Greenberg, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Kat. Thanks for your work. We have been speaking to Elizabeth Weil-Greenberg. She is a senior reporter for The Appeal, a worker-led nonprofit news organization. She writes on prison and jail conditions and wrongful convictions. Her recent article in The Appeal is, L.A. County's jail booking center has become a, quote, living hell, end quote, detainees say in a court filing. And uh, for folks in uh, the Los Angeles area who may be listening, uh, Jelani Lovett was killed in Los Angeles County one year ago tomorrow. Um, they say... It was due to a fentanyl overdose. He was uh, in the shoe with only an hour outside, access to no other uh, folks locked up uh, per day. Um, his mother, Terry Lovett, has been fighting for justice every, ever since. She's having an event for him in Los Angeles tomorrow, asking the Attorney General Rob Bonta to look into the case. Um, she will be bringing that demand to Oakland on October 5th. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.